Good to see you. Glad everybody made it today. It's a beautiful fall day out. It's beautiful for staying inside and looking at it. No, it's not bad. We'll take this this time of year, won't we? Yes. Oh, let's see. Did I? Yes, I did. Let's see what we have today. We want to welcome our uh, online crowd. We're so glad that you're out there. Once again, I had somebody just yesterday tell me, Sayan on the computer. Maybe it was on her phone. I'm not sure which. So, oh, let's see. Uh, I am going to try, and I'm confident that I will succeed in uh, having a prayer meeting online tomorrow. So uh, it's been a while since uh, it's worked, so we'll give it our best effort again. Uh, this Wednesday, we are our, our Wednesday midweek meal will consist of soups and sandwiches. So, uh, bring your soups and a sandwich. No, somebody will bring a bunch of sandwiches. Uh, is there a sign-up sheet over there or not? No? Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So, 
I like soup and sandwich tonight because uh, we always have a great selection of soups. Uh, we had great soup Friday night. Miranda uh, and one of her compadres uh, had soups and salads and uh, desserts over at Lakewood to benefit the DeKalb Pregnancy Center. And y'all missed a good time if you weren't there. So, uh, yeah, they had some great soups over there. Let me see, what else we got? I'm having a bad eye day, so I'm having a hard time reading this. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably all I need to include. So uh, we do have some new small groups that are starting. You can read about those in your bulletin. And uh, that's all I'm, I'm going to say. So Christian's got some things he wants to cover. Come on up here, Christian. All right. So we have youth group tonight from 6 to 8. Um, mostly everything's the same. Tuesdays again are going to start are going to start being uh, uh, dinner at McDonald's for the youth group kids just because they're starting to get in play mode so I just wanted to make it so that all the kids that are doing the play that are going to start practicing can come and have fellowship with us as well so Tuesday from 5:45 to 6:45 we'll be at McDonald's they can get whatever they want it's not on my bill, though. <laughs> They're going to have to pay for it. Send money. Because if I did that, uh, I'd spend probably $100 at McDonald's for all these kids. Um, then on Wednesday, we have Wednesday nights um, with the 5th through 7th graders. Um, and Thursdays, we have a girls group with Jessie at her house. I don't see Jessie at all. Oh, there, she's right down there. She was waving at me. So that's Jessie if you have any uh, <laughs> questions about that, just go ask Jessie. She's going to tell you. And then we also have guy group on Fridays for 7th through college age. Um, that's um, 6 to 7.30. Lastly, this is, this is our event. Well, one of the big events for the month is uh, this Saturday, upcoming Saturday. We are going to be at the old gymnasium. It says uh, the elementary gymnasium. We couldn't, we couldn't get that rented for the big event, but it's going to be at the old gymnasium, and that's going to be with St. Joe's youth group as well. So St. Joe and um, our youth group are going to get together, and we're going to have a big um, fun night together, and that's from 6 to 8 p.m. So that's it. That's all. Thank you. All right. Very good. All right. Let's turn our hearts toward the Lord as we start our worship service. Almighty God, we are so blessed to be able to come into this place and know that you are present with us. Lord, we're so grateful that your spirit indwells our hearts and there isn't any place that we can go where you are not there with us. And Lord, we, we count that as such a blessing because we know we don't have to do this alone. Lord, we thank you that you brought Jesus into this world to pay the price for our sins and to bring us together as family, as the children of God. And 
Lord, help us to learn the things that you want us to learn today. Help us to grow closer to you and closer in fellowship with each other. And now we want to surrender our worship unto you, Lord. Please receive our adoration from thankful hearts. And Lord, be blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Say hello to everybody.
What's that? Here we go. We believe in God the Father, almighty maker of the heavens and the earth, and in Jesus Christ his Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, then given birth. We believe, we believe.
Psalm 24, verses 1 through 7. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in.
David was a man in pursuit of God's heart. He submitted his life to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit during his teen years. He desired to build up God's kingdom. Later, he planned to build a temple unlike any other among the nations. This design was in harmony with the pattern divinely revealed to Moses generations earlier. God, however, refused David this honor. Before he died, David shared with the chosen son, Solomon, the new plan God had revealed to him. David said to Solomon, my son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest for all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son, and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Because the blood of God's judgment against the faithless Canaanites and Philistines was on David's hands, God desired a different king, one whose hands wouldn't be stained with the lifeblood of God's judgment against sinful people. To build a permanent temple for his name, 
God planned for a man whose hands delivered peace to the land. We gather at this time to remember the son of David, Jesus, who died with bloodstained hands. They were not stained from the battles against flesh and blood sinners. The bloodstained hands of the son of David we celebrate are a reminder of the payment God made for the redemption available to all humanity. As you eat the bread and drink the cup, we remember the peaceful hands of God's Messiah sacrificed for our sin, the son of David who will still be building God's glorious temple today. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything we have. We glorify your name, Lord, in everything that we do. We love you, and we thank you for everything that we have in the beautiful days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I am so afraid that I find myself alone Looking for a Savior Looking for a hope, so don't leave me here alone. Don't leave me here alone. All your hope and all my pride, all this time to watch it all collide. Everyone seems to say You can work it out Under my skin I'm shaking And I can't get out I am so afraid That I find myself alone Looking for a savior Looking for a hope And I am so afraid That I find myself alone
Trust in you, Jesus, oh. 
how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Oh, how sweet, how sweet it is to trust in you, Jesus. Thank you, Gilbert and Jesse. A young mom had just had to get tough with her four-year-old son. And like many of us did at that age, he threatened to run away from home. He stormed up the stairs, and she could hear him up there slamming drawers and pulling things from the closets as he packed some bags. Finally, he showed up downstairs dragging a couple of suitcases. Mom said, so, where are you going to go? He said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not allowed to cross the street by myself, so I packed your suitcase. <laughs> Israel has packed her bags and has run away from home in Egypt. Through a series of miracles, Moses has led Israel out of Egypt and into the wilderness to the east. The Egyptian army has been destroyed in the Red Sea we saw last Sunday. And now the nation of Israel is traveling south for the time being through the Sinai Peninsula. And they're not empty-handed. They have some water. They have some food. They have their livestock. But, of course, the first shortage they'll face is the lack of water out there in the wilderness. God supplied them with water at a place called Mara. He supplied water again at a place named Elam. The name Elam means large trees. And at that oasis, there were 70 palm trees and 12 springs. And they're camped there for a while, but they can't stay there. They have a destination. They are headed for Canaan, the promised land. 
In Exodus 16, which is where our text is today, Exodus 16, we read in verse 1, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So they've been free from the Egyptians now for about a month, and the honeymoon is over, if we're to use that analogy of God being the bridegroom and God's people being the bride. The honeymoon is over and the bride, Israel, is starting to complain. But along the way, they reveal some things about themselves and hopefully they learn some things about God. First of all, they reveal that they're great at griping and grumbling. In verses 2 and 3, it says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. The Israelites were good at griping and grumbling. Kids are good at that. Everybody should be good at something. Kids are good at griping and grumbling. A Sunday school teacher had her class write letters to God. One child, a little girl named Ashley, wrote, Dear God, instead of having people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? A little boy named Colt said, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different church camp this year. And Brielle said, Dear God, thank you for the new baby brother, but what I wanted was a puppy. Kids are good at complaining. The King James Version calls the Hebrews the children of Israel. One reason for that, of course, is that they were the descendants of Jacob, who God renamed Israel, and so his descendants are kind of like the, his children, grandchildren, etc., etc., and they're the branches of his family tree. But the name children of Israel is also fitting because Israel was like a bunch of little kids. And little kids love to tell the grown-ups how to manage their business, don't they? They saw the army of the Egyptians behind them in last week's message. And it says in Exodus 14, 11, and 12, they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And then when they were traveling in the desert, it says in Exodus 15, 23 and 24, that when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah, a Hebrew word that means bitter. 
So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Now they're using up the supplies they carried out of Egypt. And they're ready to go back into slavery just to get something good to eat. It's kind of reminiscent of Isaac's son, Esau, who was willing to trade the honor of the family birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. These children of Israel are so childish in their thinking that they're accusing Moses of plotting to draw them out into the wilderness just to starve them to death. And like little children, as I said, they are great at griping and grumbling. That's sometimes a problem in the church, too. Some people think that we spent too much money on this or that, or we sing too many of those radio songs when... They prefer the old hymns. Or that Bible school teacher took away my son's device during class. The nerve. Those youth group kids spend too much time having fun and not memorizing the Bible. And did you see the awful colors they painted the nursery? And it just goes on and on. They're revealing their talent. They're great at griping and grumbling. At the same time, they're learning some things, the Israelites are. They're learning, and this is point two on your outline, grace and glory. God's goals are grace and glory. He loves to show his grace, and he loves to receive glory. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 16, It says, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Amazingly, God hears their griping and grumbling and he answers, not because they deserve it, But because God is a God of grace, they didn't deserve the kindness of God, but God gives them kindness anyway. That is the definition of grace. When we get a gift that we don't deserve. Here's an old story about a man who dies and meets Peter at the pearly gates. Peter says, okay, here's how it works. You need to have 100 points to get into heaven. Now tell me about all the good things you've done. They're all worth a certain number of points. If your total is 100 or more, you can come in. The man says, well, I was happily married to my wife for 52 years. I never looked at another woman. I was attentive and I loved her dearly. Peter says, that's great. That's two points. Peter says, or the man says, gee, this is going to be tougher than I thought. Well, I attended church regularly and volunteered my time, and I tithed faithfully. Peter says, okay, that's another point. What else? Guy says, just one point? Okay, let me think. I was involved in a prison ministry for 25 years off and on, I went into the prison and I shared Jesus with the men. 
Peter says, wow, that's great. That's another two points. The man says, only two points? At this rate, it'll be by the grace of God that I get into this place. And Peter says, bingo, that's 100 <laughs> points. Come on in. God is a God of grace. And he's also a God of glory. God wants. He expects. No, he demands to be recognized for what he does. That's why in verse 6, Moses says, In the evening you will know it was the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. In verse 7, Moses says, In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. In verse 8, he says, You will know that it was the Lord. I said it last week, and I'll say it repeatedly throughout the rest of this series. God is all about his glory. Everything that we go through, God wants to be glorified. And that's why he's so adamant about the people of Israel not falling into idolatry. It involves honoring false gods for doing what the true God has done. God is so adamant about being honored for what he does, we see him literally turn on the spotlight on his presence, and he calls that his glory. In the Hebrew, the word for God's glory is Shekinah. It's the Shekinah glory that Moses will see up on the mountain of God. It's the Shekinah glory that will fill the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement when the priest takes the blood to sprinkle the mercy seat. It's the Shekinah glory that the people see now in verse 10. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. That pillar of cloud in the distance was filled with the blinding light of God's presence. That's the Shekinah glory. In Psalm 102, or I'm sorry, Psalm 104, verses 2 through 4, it says, The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He makes flames of fire servants. That's why when Israel was embroiled in worshiping the pagan god Baal, the prophet Elijah challenged the priest of Baal to call down fire. They carried on for hours, crying out to their gods. They were dancing. They were cutting themselves, trying to get their gods' attention. And after hours of this, there was no fire. And so it was Elijah's turn. He called to God, and fire fell from heaven immediately. And so the glory of the Lord appeared here in the pillar of cloud. And even though it was broad daylight, it was illuminated with his presence. Over in 
our text in verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Out of his grace, God plans to send meat and bread. And he will be glorified when they know that he is the Lord. And so in verses 13 through 15, it says that evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. In the Sinai Peninsula to this very day, there are regular migrations of quail. In the spring, their destination is Europe, and in the fall, they return. Now, I don't want to suggest that this was just a, a, a natural thing that happened that God took credit for. I believe with all my heart that God sent this migration of quail, and that maybe because he sent it that time, it's continued to this day. But the thing about quail is what that when they get weary of flying, they land on the ground or in the low-lying bushes, and they're so exhausted, they can't fly anymore. They run along the ground, but they're not very fast, and even children are able to run them down and pick them up. That evening, God brought in the quail. They were all over the ground. And in the morning, the ground was covered with this thin wafer-like substance that could be gathered up. Their provision was all over the ground, the quail and the manna. And that's why the people need some ground rules here. You know ground rules. God didn't call them ground rules, but that's what they were. With ground rules, say a a batter hits a ball to the outfield and it bounces over the fence. The ground rules in those cases are that the runner gets to go to second base and no further. And there are other ground rules. In some stadiums, they have light fixtures that might get hit by a baseball. If, if you hit the, the light fixture, maybe they'll give you a ground rule double. Well, this was a unique situation, and it called for some ground rules, some unique rules. The food was all over the ground, so God gave them ground rules. And that brings us to point three, God's ground rules. And those, that ground rule was gather with gratitude. That was one of them. Gather with gratitude. You know, that should be a ground rule for us today in the church. Gather with gratitude. Because genuine gratitude glorifies God. How's that for a four-point sermon right there? Genuine gratitude glorifies God. Say that with me. Genuine gratitude glorifies God. That's right. When I was a kid... We were taught to say grace before each meal. Did you do that when you were a kid growing up? 
Do you have your kids say grace today? I never understood why it was called saying grace. If it's true that grace is an undeserved gift from God, maybe we ought to call the prayer before the meal the recognition of grace. It got to be a joke around our house. Maybe it did yours too. Mom would say, Dale, it's your turn to say grace. And like the budding comedic genius I was, I'd say, grace. And it was hysterical the first hundred times that I did that. But it got old. But the prayer consisted of the words, and it was a poem, in case you don't catch the rhythm of it. God bless this food which now we take, and do us good for Jesus' sake. Amen. Seven never came out that way. The little kids in our family never knew what it actually was, because it would sound like, amen. It wasn't very god glorifying. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. And that's exactly what we did at our table growing up, because that's what we were. We were little pagans. How much better would it be if after the memorized prayer, we ate the meal asking our kids, okay, what did that prayer mean? And have them explain it. It'd be better if we just said, thank you, Lord. I knew a church that had a potluck dinner. And they asked the youth minister to ask the blessing. And he stood and he said, Lord, thank you for this food. Amen. And before everybody got up to get their food, the senior minister jumped up and held his hand up and said, okay, everyone hold your seats while we have a real prayer. youth minister wasn't there very long. God was establishing some ground rules, and he was trying to teach the Israelites some things. First, he was teaching them contentment. In verse 16 of our text. There it is. This is what the Lord has commanded, Moses said. Everyone is to gather as much as they need Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The stuff they were gathering became known as manna. Because we already read that, because when they saw it, they said in the Hebrew, manu, which is Hebrew meaning, what is it? Each morning they would wake up and it would be on the ground like dew. Each person was to gather as much as he needs. Key word being needs. Each person was to gather one omer per person. Now you're probably wondering, what is an omer? That's when you hit the ball really hard and it goes over the fence. No, an omer was equal to about a half a gallon, a couple of quarts. God wanted them to learn to be content for that day and leave enough for their neighbors, not be selfish. The principle of contentment is still an important part of pleasing God today. 
There are so many Christians who don't give the Lord the 10% that he requires. Because after they make the payment on their $80,000 pickup truck and the payment on the boat and the payment on the four-wheelers, there just doesn't seem to be enough left over. I was reading an interview with a plastic surgeon a few months ago. She was explaining the difficulties of the current economic downturn. She said, it's the summer season coming up, so my patients have to have their tune-ups, plastic surgery tune-ups. She said, but instead of doing liposuction on seven areas, they're only doing three or four. These decisions are so painful. The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. God wanted to teach the Israelites to be content with their daily bread. Secondly, he was teaching them faith. In verse 19 of our text, Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. That is, they were not to keep any of the manna overnight. When they retired for the evening, they were to throw out any leftover manna. He was assuring them that God would supply their need the next day and that they needed to have faith. After World War II, there were hundreds of children who had been orphaned by the fighting in the towns and villages around Europe. Facilities were built for the care of these refugees. In one facility, the child care personnel found that the children weren't able to sleep at night. They tried counseling, they tried soft music, bedtime stories, and every idea they could imagine, but nothing worked. The children tossed and turned all night, and they were exhausted during the day. One night, one of the workers saw a child had hidden a, a portion of that night's supper in his pocket and took it to bed with him. And that prompted an idea. The next evening, each child was given a slice of bread to take to bed with him. Nearly every child slept soundly that night. The problem, they discovered, had been that these orphans had been hungry for so long with no one to provide for them that they lived in fear that they might not eat tomorrow. And that slice of bread assured them that they at least wouldn't starve the next day. God wanted to be the father and provider for Israel. He wanted them to have faith that he would come through for them each day of their lives. When God tells us that he requires the first tenth of our income, that's also an exercise in faith. 
He wants his people today to believe that he will supply their needs without our hoarding what we have out of fear. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the letter we call 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God was teaching the Israelites contentment. He was teaching them faith. And then thirdly, he was teaching them obedience. In verses 21 to 23, it says, Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And save whatever is left and keep it until morning. God was establishing the practice of working six days and resting on the seventh. That even carried over to the gathering of food. They would gather twice as much on day six so that they'd have enough for two days. So on the morning of the seventh day, Moses addresses the people in verses 25 and 26. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. God is teaching the same thing when he requires the tenth today. God knew about human nature. God knew that obedience is easy until it hits us in the stomach or in the wallet. In Malachi 3, verses 8 through 10, the prophet says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Apparently, they were robbing God by giving what they felt they could afford, which required no faith. If you give only what you think you can afford, what faith does that require? And that's why God chastises them and says, bring the whole tithe. After church one Sunday morning, the mom and dad and the little girl got in the car and on the way home, mom said, that choir was awful this morning. And dad said, I'll say. And the sermon was way too long too. 
Their seven-year-old daughter piped up from the back seat. You got to admit, though, it was a pretty good show for the dollar you paid. God was teaching them contentment and faith and obedience. And those lessons were centered around God's goals of giving grace and being glorified. But many people weren't interested in God's goals. And that brings us to Israel's goals in point four. They had group goals, greed and gluttony. That's point four on your outline. The group goals were greed and gluttony. They weren't interested in learning the lessons God planned for them. Moses had told them that they were not to keep the manna overnight. But in verse 20 it says, However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. They made like those World War II orphans who needed the slice of bread to be sure they'd eat the next day. But these Israelites were not orphans. They had a heavenly father who wanted to be their provider. And they knew that Moses told them not to gather on the Sabbath. In verses 27 through 29, it says, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. I was reading about trappers in Africa who capture monkeys to bring them to the United States to sell to zoos. They capture the monkeys by setting up cages and they put bait inside the cages. The bait can be anything the monkey would want, maybe food or a, a shiny object. The monkeys are lured to the cages, but they won't go in, so they, the trappers don't even leave the doors open. Instead, the monkeys reach through the bars, grab the bait, and try to pull it out. But the object is too large to go through the bars. And the only way the monkey can get away is to drop the bait. But they won't do it. They'll stay trapped in bondage, kicking and squealing, but still holding on. And they refuse to let go of the bait. And so they're captured. God hates it when we are wanting to grab hold of what we have and hoard it. He hates it when we're greedy because it dishonors him and God wants to be honored. God is all about his glory and you'll hear that again and again. God is all about his glory. So let's apply this message in several ways. First of all, remember to be grateful to God for everything because genuine gratitude glorifies God. You might want to put that on a sticky note in your vehicle. 
maybe on your refrigerator door, or any place that will remind you throughout the day to thank the God of goodness and grace. The second thing you can do is teach your kids and your grandkids to be grateful. Show them how to pray thoughtfully a genuine prayer of thanks, not a poem that they can say so fast that you can't even understand it. And a third thing you can do is start obeying God with what you have gathered. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and trust God for what you need. He will supply. We are his children, his kids. And we're learning, aren't we? Hope we're learning. Hope we're drawing closer to him. Maturing in the things of God. If you're not a child of God, then you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you to help you to mature. And, and that's such an important thing. So none of this really applies to you if, you if you've never surrendered to Jesus. But we'd love to have you become a child of God so that Jesus' blood can cleanse you from every sin. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, He becomes Lord of your life. Not you being Lord of your own life. He wants to save you and he wants to bring you into the family. And his blood will make you a blood relation. A son of God. A daughter of God. And so, it's that time of the service when we sing our invitation song once again. And you know how it goes. If you've never surrendered to Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to do that. We're going to stand and we're going to sing, There is a Redeemer. And if you have a decision to make to accept Jesus Christ into your life, step on it down the aisle here and we'll pray with you to get started. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, blessed Lamb of God. Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, God our Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your provision that you are so generous and gracious in supplying all the needs of your children. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to learn to trust in you and to learn to wait on you. Lord, it's, it's hard for us to do that. We're immature children and we need these lessons to be taught to us again and again. Father, help us to mature in our walk with you. How do you have the patience to deal with us, God? We wonder that, and yet the answer is that you're 
You're a long-suffering God, and we're so thankful that you are. And now send us with your blessing, Lord, as we go from this place. We pray that you'd help us to be mindful of all the little blessings you supply, to be ever grateful for these things, even the most mundane, everyday things that we tend to take for granted. Lord, help us to be filled with gratitude. And Lord, go with us now. Help us to honor your great name because it's all about your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All righty. Wednesday, we're having soup and sandwiches. There's, there's a paper over there on the, on the table. If you'd like to put down what you can bring, that will be helpful to Latasha so uh, we know what to put out a call for. All right, our closing chorus this week, To God Be the Glory, let's sing that chorus and we'll be dismissed. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son. And give him the glory, great things he has done. All right, then, God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Where the glory reached out.